When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Scenes from the gold mine. Everyone has a dream. Some have the talent to make it come true. But only a few have the courage to try. We didn't give you everything you asked for. You couldn't afford to play this artist crap. I don't ask for anything. I want to be a musician. I think I'll set the music industry on fire. Debbie D'Angelo has the desire and the ambition to reach the top. So you want the gig? Yeah. Scenes from the Goldmine is a 1987 film written and directed by Mark Rocco and starring Catherine Mary Stewart, Cameron Dye, Steve Railsback, and Joe Pantoliano. The film is about a band called Niles Dresden and the Pieces. At the beginning of the film, Catherine Mary Stewart's character, Debbie D'Angelo, joins the band. She is replacing a previous keyboardist, who is actually played in the film by Bruce Springsteen's sister, Pamela Springsteen. The bassist in the pieces is played by Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles, and the drummer is played by John Ford Coley, who, with his partner England Dan, was responsible for the nightmarish earworm, I'd Really Love to See You Tonight. Debbie D'Angelo is a struggling songwriter whose parents want her to get a real job. She has a depressed brother and roommate problems, but things are looking up when she joins this band and they land a record deal. Unfortunately, Niles Dresden and his manager, Joe Pantoliano, end up taking advantage of her and the whole thing falls apart. Scenes from the Goldmine, in my opinion, is not a great film. But what's really special about it are the songs. This film is chock full of great songs which are performed by the band in the film. Now, if you want to see the film, I uploaded it to YouTube. And there will be links at the blog page and on Facebook. Or if you just search Scenes from the Goldmine 1987 on YouTube, you'll find it. The film is not available anywhere. I don't think it's ever been released on DVD. You cannot stream it. So the only way to get this movie was on VHS, and I talked about the film on the direct-to-video episode that I did a while back. Anyways, you might want to stop the episode here and watch the film, if you're interested, or watch it later, 
afterwards, but you'll have a better understanding of what me and Cameron are talking about, I guess, if you watch the film beforehand. But like I said, it's not a great film, but it's fun to watch, and the music in the movie is great. But yeah, on today's episode, you're going to hear a conversation I had with the man who plays Niles Dresden, the leader of the band. His name is Cameron Dye. He's an actor and a musician. Cameron was in several movies in the 80s that revolved around music. Uh, he played Nicolas Cage's buddy Fred in Valley Girl. And he played Lorenzo Lamas's DJ in a very strange film called Body Rock. And then in 87, he was in Scenes from the Gold Mine. So it wasn't a successful movie. And for that reason or for other reasons, a soundtrack album for this movie was never released. And that is very unfortunate. That's a tragedy in my opinion. Because like I've said, the songs in this movie are great. And we talk a lot about the songs and where they came from. And you'll get to hear every song, pretty much, from the movie. You'll get to hear on this episode, sprinkled in throughout the conversation. Cameron Dye is a great singer, performs these songs really well. So I would love to have a soundtrack for this film. But at least because the songs are played, you know, the majority of the songs feature in the film in almost full-length versions, at least we get to hear the music. You know, ripped from the VHS tape, you get to hear these songs and you'll hear them in this episode. So like I said, if you want to see the movie, I uploaded it to YouTube. Just search Scenes from the Gold Mine 1987 on YouTube and you'll find it. And this is the conversation I had with the star of Scenes from the Gold Mine, actor and musician Cameron Dye. And we're going to try something. Don't get nervous, okay? Do the same thing. Try it like this. Up here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's on the chorus. I'm going to do the verses the same way you were doing them.
Well, I guess I was thinking about starting by just asking you, like, what year did you move to Los Angeles? Oh, man. I came, uh, I started UCLA in 1977. Okay. Fall of So were you into the whole music scene then? Yeah, I'd always, you know, I, I've always gone back and forth. When I moved to California from Toledo when I was 16. Okay. So I was 75. And I'd seen the Rolling Stones that summer, and that was it, man. I wanted to be Mick Jagger, you know. I mean, that was what I wanted to do. And then I had a great teacher in high school up in Northern California in Millbrae uh, named Alan Knight, and he got me just kind of going on acting. And I'd always, you know, I'd always been interested in that, too. So, you know, I, I mean, my <laughs> a lot of my process, you know, for the last 40 years has been kind of flipping back and forth between the two th- things. And, uh, um at some point, I just accepted, okay, you do both. Just got to do Right. Because for a period there, it was like one or the other. It's like, well, I'm doing this now. And, you know, and I would kind of wipe out anything that would come my way the other way. Um, so, you know, I, I do them both. Uh, I, I used to sing in bands growing up. And then I've had my own band here in L.A. for uh, the last 20 years. So, you know, I, I, and I continue to write and, uh, and sing. Yeah, music's still a, 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 a an intense passion of mine. That doesn't surprise me that you pursued both music and acting because you can tell just from the movie. Obviously, you play guitar really well, and you have a good voice, and you know you're a good performer. All of that is apparent <laughs> in the film. So, well, that's why I was I was you know of course faking the guitar to somebody else. The the guy who played guitar was oh, God, I just remember his name is Fitz. Uh, I don't remember his full name. Uh, great guitar player, and and you know, any up, up to that point, any bands I was in, I just sang, so I didn't have that responsibility of playing guitar. Even though I, you know, I played guitar since I was young. You know, these days I play guitar in my band, but yeah, I, uh, so I was I was I was faking the guitar in that movie, but I did the singing. But the the scene where Catherine's at the keyboard and she's playing uh, "Don't Let Him Know" for the first time. That was yeah. you playing guitar there along with her, right? No, no, no? I just faked it. Well, oh, wow. I, 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 had, I had the playback to work with. But, oh, uh, okay. You know, I, put it this way. I mean, I, I you know, I, I am a guitar player, so I kind of knew how to fake somebody else's guitar playing well. You know, I, I know where the fingers go and all that stuff. Yeah, you um, fooled me. <laughs> yeah, even though I'm, but then but the one thing I did definitely, I, I'm not a lead player. I've always been a rhythm player great rhythm banger and i know chuck berry riffs and stuff but um 
put it this way, I, I sounded a lot better than I am. So when you, if you moved to LA in 77, so then that's right when, uh, like the whole power pop and the punk scene and all that was, was going on. Were you going to the clubs and seeing bands? Yeah, I, uh, I went to a lot of clubs around that time. And, um, you know, my favorite band, my favorite LA band was the Plimsolls. Love yeah. them. Yeah. And then I got to work with them, you know, in Valley Girls. But right. that was after I was already a big fan. Uh, in fact, I had a band kind of covering Plimsoll songs up north. So, yeah, them. Who were the other bands I would see back then? The funny thing about the 80s for me, I, a lot of it... I missed because I was digging further into the 60s and the 80s. I mean, I was going back and, and picking up all the stuff that I missed. The, you know, I grew up in a, as a kid in the 60s, but I started listening to music when I was four or five. You know, like when the Beatles came out, I was there glued to the TV like, wow, that changed everything. So I was still, you know, I, in the 80s, I found myself going back and picking up like animals and, and Van Morrison and them and um you know those british bands that i remember hearing early on that did like american r&b i you know i love that stones I'm still a big stones fan but you know especially the early stuff so you know when people ask me about the music in the 80s i mean that's a lot of what i was listening to was was 60s stuff that i missed the first time around right and the, you know, the similarity with the 60s and the 80s you know the 20 year cycles it's always 20 years later you go 20 years back and that's what was going on but a lot of one hit bands great one hit bands in the 60s as well as the 80s you know I'm trying to think of some and, and then they you know my, my favorite 80s songs uh well besides million miles away i think is an anthem um welcome to the boomtown i mean david and david they had one album but it was a great album of course melt with you modern english you know i mean Two of my top three songs were in the Valley Girl soundtrack. Right. Uh, and, you know, for no other reason, but I, they were just, to me, they were great songs and fit the decade. And But yeah, so, I, you know, I, I would, I would spend a lot of time in the clubs just because, just because, I mean, it was, you know, where I felt kind of comfortable uh, during, during the time. Well, you had the knack coming out of there at that time. and like... Yeah, I, I saw them once they had already hit up yeah. in Berkeley. Uh, you know, there was that one album that did everything for them. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, sadly, after that, no real follow-up. But um, my guitar player used to play with Doug Figer, though. He was, he was, a, he was a good force. Uh, we lost him a few years ago, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I definitely related to that that revisiting of the 60s you know that energy and that uh kind of simple three chord four chord uh power pop like you say i yeah. mean i still uh you know a lot of bands cheap trick was that to me and um uh, a lot of bands late 70s uh i actually I go back you know early mid 70s like the raspberries and big star yep bands that kind of turned that Beatles thing up a little bit and, and, you know, kept to the three or four minute song, um, that, that I did embrace a lot. So in Valley Girl, were you and Nick Cage supposed to be punks? Is that what you were <laughs> supposed to be or? Well, it's funny because there, you know, there wasn't really that great of a difference between the Valley and Hollywood. It was more created through, you know, clothes style. And, you know, the music was not that 
radically different. What a lot of people don't know is that X uh, was supposed to be the Hollywood band uh, officially, and they backed out well, for some reason. And then they got the Plimsolls, which I was happy about because I was a huge Plimsolls fan. You know, of note, too, they, they, I, I did go on to play with a couple of guys in the Plimsolls in another band in the early 90s called The Moon. And we did a brief tour of the Southwest and played South by Southwest. So I did kind of carry on with those and got to know them all and did something with one or the other. Um, you know, the other ones that I didn't do that band with, I did something with. And Peter Case is still a huge hero of mine uh, as a songwriter and singer. But I digress. What were we talking about? So, yes. Yeah, so X was supposed to be the band. That would make more sense. It seems right. like, you know, you guys were presented as kind of these punk guys. But then, like, <sighs> there's the part where... Uh, you're driving in the car and Nicolas Cage is like, I love this song. <laughs> and I, I don't remember what the out. song is, but it doesn't it's, seem like the kind of song that that character yeah. would like. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I remember it was Pat Travers. And right. That, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was not, oh, I'll just say neon colors, new wave kind of KROQ music. So it, it you know, it was almost KLOS which was the, you know, the kind of hard rock station around here. So, yeah, I mean, the music thing and the clothes thing was kind of created by Martha, the director, to just kind of delineate one side of the hill from the other here right. in L.A. Right. Uh, colors, things like that. So, you know, a lot of that was created in the movie, and I guess somewhat successfully because the movie, you know, succeeded as long as you presented I think visually she did kind of present a different culture, um, one from the other. But I, like I say, it was it was kind of created too for the movie. Yeah, it's funny to watch it now because back then they were it probably seemed kind of extreme the way the Valley Girls talked. But now it's it doesn't even seem strange at all. You know, it's really? not even doesn't even feel that exaggerated, really. You know, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't, there's a screening next week. Um, it's like a 36 anniversary, 36 year anniversary. And I've seen it a few times recently, you know, big. And, and the thing that really always strikes me about it is, are the colors are so cool because yeah. that was shot on stock footage. Um, you know, the movie was done on a shoestring. And, uh, so Martha shot on stock footage. So we had to kind of have our, you know, where there weren't many takes for, for most scenes, uh, but something about that gave the film a really cool color. Uh, and Frederick Elms, who shot David Lynch's movies, he shot it. So, you know, he she she had some good people doing favors for her and, uh, you know, pulling that together. So we, we, we did. We had a good had good mojo on that one. Yeah, there's a lot of great music. I love Josie Cotton, too. And yeah. And like the Bonnie Hayes song. Shelly's boyfriend is from that, and uh, I have a so the soundtrack on vinyl only has like five or six songs on it, I think. But then they came up with a CD, I think in right. the late '90s that had more. I think you know when they were putting that together, and you know before the movie came out, and even did well or had time to do well, I think they they just didn't have the dough or hadn't uh, hadn't sealed all the deals or something. That was my understanding. But I will say, you know, when we were making the movie, the, the one thing I did have faith in was the soundtrack. Because I knew, yeah. you know, the songs Martha was going for. And I thought, great. Because uh, <laughs> that was important to me. Um, 
even then. But yeah, and it's a, it's always a great compliment to me to hear, you know, yeah, was that had the best soundtrack? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they, they put out a CD that was an expanded edition of it. I remember it. Like it had Little Girls Earthquake song, which is really great. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, you know, Josie Cotton, her album, Convertible Music, is awesome. So it's fun to she see her good. in the movie. She was good. Apparently she's going to be there at this this screening uh, next week. And oh, I'm, really? I'm going to try to I'm going to try to make it. Yeah, it's one of those with a and a it, it's a Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of the movie, I guess. And he has a theater here in L.A. So he always screens it on the anniversary. OK. Um, so, yeah, but she's supposed supposedly going to be there. And one of the guys, David, from the Plimsolls, I heard is going to show up, which was kind of drawing me to it closer because I used to be in a band with David. So we may have a little reunion there next week. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like you have all the biggest laughs in the movie. <laughs> like all the well, all those lines that made me laugh were yours, I think, pretty much. So you want to dance? In another life. Yeah, I didn't either. I was just taking a poll. Do you think a girl should pet on the first date? Who are you, Bozo the Clown? What's your sign? So, uh, how's your mother? She's dead. I, yeah, it's funny because some of them were actually mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd either used them or, or heard them from somebody else. Or uh, yeah, it was funny. That being my first movie, I didn't know that you had kind of leeway to you know insert your own thing into it, your own words or lines or you know. I came from the theater, which you know, everything that's written is gospel. You know, you stay with it. And some, you know, some filmmakers, they, they still adhere to that rule of, you know, we keep to the script and don't deviate. But, uh, most, I mean, many do say, Hank, no, go create your own thing. And, you know, and, and Valley Girl was a lot of those party moments. It's like, all right, well, what can we do here? And, and so, uh, yeah. So a lot of those were just things I threw in. And, <laughs> <laughs> I watched Body Rock a couple weeks ago, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I had ever seen that before. But that movie is insane, <laughs> isn't it? I, you know, it's funny because in hindsight, on paper, that was you know, this is the, almost the opposite of Valley Girl. It's Valley Girl on paper. You're like, oh, really? But, uh, but it was you know crafted well with Martha, you know, directing us and rehearsing us. Body Rock, on the other hand on paper was was actually a good script i just thought it was kind of miscast i mean me included and um, i i just thought it was cast very kind of white <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know i mean i shouldn't have even been in it you know and, and lorenzo lamas was kind of their idea street, oh my god I, lorenzo street. lamas is just so strange to watch in that movie it's really weird <laughs> It Just, was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, again, it was the eighties. So their, their presentation of this urban world, you know, I was like, wow, really? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I, again, I was like, I shouldn't even be in this. And, but I mean, the, the, but the plus thing was that, uh, the great dancers, I mean, we had Michael Jackson's dancers and, and so that part of it kind of, you know, had some integrity. I thought, and the way it was shot, cause it was Robbie Mueller who was uh, Vim Vendor's, um, he was non-union at the time, so we got him. Wow. Okay. And uh, who else? Ray. Um, shit, what was uh, Ray? Can't remember his name. Uh, Ray Sharkey, who was a great actor, was in it. He played kind of the you know the 
manager, the evil guy. Right, but, right. Uh, so it had some things. And, the, you know, again, the colors, the way it was shot was visually great. Somebody recently, uh, like in the last year, contacted me and they said, hey, will you come? Um, we, we have this thing where we show movies and we you know, basically take the piss out of them because we know every line. And, <laughs> right. and we're going to show Body Rock. Will you come? And at first, you know, this is by, by way of email. And I was like, fuck, no, I'm not going to come. <laughs> but then I thought, you know what? This could be fun. And it was in my neighborhood. It was not, you know, in Hollywood. So I, I, I went. I had a ball. I mean, they all knew the line, knew every line and were, you know, just watching it. Kind of, so I drank a beer with them and answered goofy questions. And it was a lot of fun, actually. It's funny to me. I mean, you know, most any film or any fans of films that I've done know know the film and the lines so much better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, once I do something, I, I, it's gone. I don't remember it. Lorenzo Lamas just seems so out of his element. I don't know if that's well, accurate, yeah. but it just felt that way to me. Well, he was, he's an interesting guy. I and mean, I've run into him here and there. Um, I mean, he was doing kind of Falcon Crest or nighttime soap and, but he did, you know, genuinely have kind of a street, you know, he rode bikes and stuff. So he, you know, motorcycles, I mean, and, and so he's aware of a certain culture, but uh, I don't know that hip hop was his culture. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, however it came out, but uh, like I say, if you watch it from a certain perspective, yeah, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> 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 those clothes too. It's like, jeez. Yeah, the clothes are insane. <laughs> yeah, the the eighties was a visually a very loud decade. <laughs> we'll yeah, and that. then in the in the film they just like, you know, multiply that by ten times or whatever, just make it even more ridiculous than real life. So then, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, another example would be your hairstyle and scenes from the gold mine is pretty interesting. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what happened there? I did a back-to-back -back with that. I did this miniseries called Dress Gray, which was about a, a military academy. So I had to – and the way it was scheduled, I was supposed to do scenes from the gold mine first, then whack all my hair off and do the um, Dress Gray. But somehow they got reversed. So – in essence, what happened was I had a very short haircut. I mean, I had, you know, my normal hair was kind of rock and roll hair. And, you know, it would have been fine that way, except it got rescheduled. So what we did was we, it was a weave. Uh, you know, now it's kind of common, these extensions right. that they, they sewed into my scalp, uh, in, you know, into very short hair on the back, which, you know, fit the time period it was kind of a crazy mullet long mullet. Yeah, yeah um and i think who we did thompson twins i mean there were guys who kind of you know would would rock that look right. i mean it's a ridiculous look now when i look back on it which i, I kind of appreciate in a way because it was so extreme and you know again the, the, the character of niles dresden was not me, you know, yeah, no. <laughs> so it, it makes a clear, <laughs> yeah, that's clear true. Delineation between me and the character, the hair, you know, every role. I was just telling, I was just working on something. I said, you know, every role begins and ends with the hair. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's face it. So, 
Such a great <laughs> name, Niles Dresden. That is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was one thing that came out. It's funny that script. In hindsight, uh, it, it, it was not. Uh, all in all, seems to be goldmine to me. Had some great people in it. Catherine Mary Stewart, I, I see occasionally. You know who else? We had Joey Pantliano, Joey Pants, as he's known. Yeah, who's and Steve Railsback, who was a hero of mine from you know Stuntman and um, who else? Lee Ving. Yeah, he uh, was the video director. Yeah. Oh my God, and he was brilliant. So funny. <laughs> And and just, yeah, a wacky guy. So all these brilliant kind of actors and the script, you know, again, the idea. Okay. I, you know, the script to me was, was not the strong point of it, but, um, but the guys who made it, Danny and Mark, uh, Danny being the producer, Mark being the director, Mark Rocco, Danny Eisenberg, um, you know, they put this thing together and it was, they wanted to make a movie and they had a dream and a vision behind it. And, you know, they included me. I said, great. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what it was. And I, it, it has kind of a weird following somebody like yourself or just randomly, I'll, I'll, I'll get the, the odd fan who's like just such a fan of the movie and the music and everything. And I'm like, wow, huh? well, that's great. You know, somebody saw it. Good. <laughs> well, uh, why wasn't there a soundtrack? There, there must have been plans or hopes to have a soundtrack, right? I yeah, there was. In fact, there was big. You know, they were going to send me out with a band to kind of promote it. It was Hemdale was the production company, and I don't, you know, I don't know the mechanics of what happened with that or or why there was no soundtrack. I, you know. Uh, and I haven't even popped it into a cassette player to see if it still plays, but I have those songs on a cassette, specifically the ones I did, because people have asked me, you know, I said, you know, I have this, and I haven't even, if I was smart, I would kind of put it on a, uh, I don't know, a cloud or something just to keep it. But uh, I don't know where that exists. Um, I mean, I can tell you we did the recording at Sound City, which is now kind of famous. Really? Sound City. Yeah. Yeah, it was during the... Uh, the, the well, we made it what eighty six. It was that kind of lull period before Nirvana recorded their albums there and kind of put it back on the map. You know, Tom Petty would still record there. In fact, you know, shortly after we did our thing there, uh, I made friends with Paula Salvatore, who would kind of manage the place, and I'm still friends with her. But she remember her calling me saying, "Hey, Tom's," you know, and I was a huge Tom Petty fan, and and Bob Dylan was here. I was, I was like, God. <laughs> so I got to go kind of hang out outside and kind of listen you know, to what he was doing, which was great. And who else? Like Donovan was there at the time, you know, which is cool for me. And then Michael DeBar had this band with Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. Yeah, um, Checkered Past. Yeah, they were down the hall <laughs> recording. Yeah. And then, yeah, Steve Jones bummed a cigarette for me, and I thought, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I felt so, you know, uncool. But uh, I think what Checker Past had um, guys from Blondie in it too, right? I think. Did they? Was Clem Burke? Was he the drummer? Yeah, I think. Or Nigel Harrison, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just remember they were down the hall. So it was, you know, Sound City was cool. 
and why, where was I going with that? The music. So yeah. So and and Bobby Bobby Woods was the uh, more or less the chord musical coordinator. I, I I don't know if he got producer for or that credit for being producer. And he would be the one who would know that stuff or, and I'm out of touch with him. And as you mentioned, did you try to get in touch with him or somebody recently said, I've tried to get a, a hold of Bobby Woods and couldn't, or I probably tried to find him, but yeah, with a name like that, it's so hard to, yeah, right. Cause there's so well, many, you know, Bobby did, it was either before this film or shortly after he and his friend, Chip Garamella, Garamella, Garamella. But they had written a song for Madonna and made some dough from it. Oh, uh, and okay. I can't, can't even tell you which song. Okay. So they they made some money from it. So if you look up, I mean, that's that's a potential link for you right there. Right. But he would know, and he would also know the players because he assembled that, uh, who actually played on those songs. Yeah, and, and he wrote, I, Bobby Woods wrote, he, I Was Just Asking, which I think is an amazing song. Yeah, he wrote that, and the other one I sang called um, "Every Good Girl Falls," which I think right. is the very first film, a very first song in the film. Right, the band's rehearsing, and Pam Springsteen. That's Pam Springsteen. Who, yeah, who yeah, played. Bruce's sister, the former, yeah. <laughs> the former girlfriend. Yeah, she was a friend of mine too. Right. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that old scene is funny. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, so talking about it kind of conjures it up. Yeah, she was she was an actress in like horror a couple of horror movies or something, right? Pamela Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, she yeah she flirted with it. Now, in fact, I saw her just not so long ago. She's a photographer, a great photographer. She's done a lot of well, a lot of the pictures you see of Bruce. Um, I know she did a good session with Keith Richards that I'm familiar with, and uh, she's just and she you know, even back then she she would just be into taking pictures and she's definitely got her own unique style you can probably look her up on facebook or something her her page but uh yeah so she's doing great she has a she has a daughter i know and she's doing good i just recently got together with her after a long long time it's good to see her cool yeah it's funny how she she turns up in the movie just somebody random like that (laughs) yeah 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 i was just asking is to me just such a really well-written uh, pop, power pop song. I really love it, that song. Yeah, that is that is a good pop song. And Kathy you know, sings on that. And...
other song uh listen to to my heartbeat or listen to the heartbeat i couldn't read who wrote that song in the credits but that's a great song too that was was that james house yeah it's something like that i just couldn't make out what what the name was i think that's james house who also appeared in the film uh he was one of the (laughs) <laughs> there were like three bands doing twist and shout yeah that was funny <laughs> uh, i think they picked that song because it was cheap or something yeah it's the song that everybody's doing but yeah james was the one who acted british and i said no his dad sells cars in van oh the guy that came up to you in the club and was talking yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay that's, yeah, that's the guy that wrote that out. song oh, all right. right niles love how are you hey simon may long time I'm doing pretty good. I should say so. I've heard that Rush Records is after you, lads. Yeah, what can I say? We're pretty high right now. So how's your record selling? You playing tonight? We're back at Bones West. Why don't you fall back later? Plus one, love. Yeah. Derby, this is Simon Legree, lead singer for Roberto Roberto. I shall tear me more. Bye-bye. See you later, love. Good seeing you. That was interesting. Yeah, I think refreshing gets it better. We should go catch him, though. Believe it or not, we grew up together. When? Mm. Grade school. Should we had our first band, sixth, nah, seventh grade. We are doing the whole Alice Cooper trip, that kind of thing. Old buddies, huh? And away. What does that mean? Nothing. It's not important. Well, if it's not important, then you can tell me. Oh, man. And look at the guy. He's never spent a day of his life in England. His dad makes Camaros out in Van Nuys. 
Our band was doing pretty cool. And the second British Invasion came around, he copped that accent, started dressing like a drag queen. Now he's selling records. Well, you don't have to go see him if you don't want to. That's okay. I'm over that. I mean, there's enough in it for all of us, you know? Besides that, we got two free drinks coming. Let's hear a warm welcome for Niles Dresden and the pieces. And then, of course, we had the, the Brian Adams, Jim Valance songs. Yeah. You know, the kind of B songs of theirs, which and I was a big Brian Adams fan at the time. I just, I still, I, th- I think it just had a great voice. 
still has. I mean, he's, I think he's out touring again, but, uh, that excited me. So, and that was play to win. And then, um, no way to treat a lady. I think that's my favorite. I, I like no way to treat a lady. One, two, three, four. You can tease me. You can sweet talk and leave me on. But believe me. Won't be long till I'm catching on. that song was recorded by both Bonnie Raitt and Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> oh, I knew Bonnie Raitt recorded it, but I didn't know Bonnie Tyler. And so. uh, Play to Win, uh, Ian Lloyd had a band called Fast Forward that put that song out in like 1984. So oh, I, really? I knew that song. I have that record. That's a great song. All right, you guys going to be hearing a lot of this next one. It's called Play to Win.
Peter Pratt, and the pieces want to meet you. Leading off on the base is the man who puts People Magazine's 10 best dressed list to shame. Girls, we call him the Iceman. He's from Tupelo, Mississippi. That's right, Tupelo. Mr. Dennis, a She'll write words that'll break your heart. Beverly Hills has never produced anything so wild and innocent, luscious and lovely as Miss Debbie. listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Oh, there's another shoot. There was another Brian Adams song that I thought. Yeah, oh, don't that... let him know. Uh, Adams and Valance wrote. 
Right. You're right, right, right. But I'm thinking there's another Brian Adams song that Brian Adams did that, that sounds a lot like Play to Win. It's like, oh, this was kind of the, the template. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, anyway. But, um, yeah, all fun to do. And, and, you know, Timothy Schmidt and John Cord Coley. Yeah, that's your uh, rhythm section in the, in the yeah. pieces. Yeah. I mean, you know, John Cord Coley was an interesting choice because he, you know, England Dan, John Cord Coley. Yeah. Like, I've just seen it. Right. Uh, he's drawn. But he was friends with Mark, the director. So he and he was a great guy. Um, and then Timothy, who, you know, Timothy's the one of the Eagles who anybody who's ever met Timothy is like, God, he's the sweetest guy. You know, some might say something about this eagle or that eagle, but Timothy's <laughs> yeah. the one that yeah, and it was during the Eagles period where nobody was talking to each other, but everybody talked to Timothy because he's just the greatest guy in the world and, and still is as far as I know. I did, I wound up doing a video of his a um, couple of years later, one of his pro- solo project things. Um, I never got to see it, I don't think, but, <laughs> but it was fun to do. <laughs> I'm flattered that he asked me to do it. It's called Boys Night Out. I remember that. Yeah, so... Uh... I guess John Ford Coley had been in some other movies in the eighties too, but uh... I think, yeah, I think he kind of caught the bug with this one. And, okay. uh, I, I know he did Mark Rocco. He, he did another one of Mark's movies that he directed. I remember. Um, but from there, I don't know. Uh, I hope he's doing well these way these days. I remember, he got married around that time. I remember going to his wedding. I have a friend named John Lamro who does a podcast called The Hustle, and he said he just recently interviewed him. Oh. Because I well, told him that I was talking to you, and I was telling him about this movie, and I told him that, that John Ford Coley was the drummer in your band, and he's like, I I just interviewed him. I wish I would have known that to ask him about that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good detail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I, I, like John, you know, he wasn't a drummer by nature or that wasn't his job in the band he no. was in so <laughs> yeah he had to kind of figure that out uh and timothy of course you know was a bass player playing a bass player so that was easy yeah uh, so yeah so um, i guess that band never actually played no <laughs> no i don't know what that would have sounded like yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> mark uh Mark and Danny, they did have me prepped. They said, hey, this movie's going to open in Cleveland, and we want you to have a band together. And I had it. I had a band together, a good one. Uh, some Plimsolls guys, some some you know, other guys from here and there. But that didn't that didn't come to pass because I was going to do you know songs from the movie that I did, and then you know whatever else around that, some covers, '60s covers, or you know things that I liked. But uh, like I say, it did not come to pass, so, you know, that was that. So that was like if the movie had actually gotten some traction, then you would have done yeah. that, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And since there wasn't even a soundtrack, <laughs> kind of put a damper right. on it. Yeah, no, it got, you know, in the end, the the, the release was kind of low-key, and, um, you know, I don't think I'd put that much weight on it i mean i you know it was great to me because i was doing the two things that i do you know i mean i, I was i am a singer and and uh, you know a legit singer uh a legit rock and roll singer i'll say that um and you know a legit actor and and was working a lot in those days and you know so it all 
it all fit for me. I was like, Oh God, this is doing both things. This is great. And, um, you know, I think I did have some hopes. It's like, well, you know, to be, to be visible doing both is a good thing. But then, like I say, it didn't, you know, it didn't have the, the traction. That's a good word that, you know, any of us thought it might have. So, you know, you move on. Yeah. It must, it must've been disappointing because for one thing, these are great songs. It would have been a great soundtrack, though. Yeah. And you must have put a lot of work in in the studio into you know recording all this music, and you must have envisioned it being more than just in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I I think so. Um, you know, it's probably as, as a learning experience, like Purple Rain, you know, which I consider, uh, you know rock and roll movie around that time or a movie not we won't say rock and roll r&b whatever prince was but uh you know those songs had exposure around the movie uh with scenes from the gold mine you had songs that nobody had ever heard uh except for twist and shout or yeah i think that's the only one and also and and just as a if i had to you know critique a little bit you, you let those songs play out probably longer than you should have, you know, maybe just a verse of something to catch an ear would have been better to say, Ooh, yeah, that sound kind of sounds good. I've never heard it, but you know, I want to hear more of it. Um, I mean, you may argue with this and I, I, I welcome that, but, but to me it's, it's like, you know, you had a whole movie of songs that nobody had ever heard before. Um, and maybe giving them a little too much of that song or having to sit through, you know, a song that they'd never heard or many of them. Um, so that's, that's, that was part of my critique of the movie that, you know, you maybe lingered a little too long on, uh, you know, a song that wasn't familiar or many songs that weren't familiar. Um, Yeah, you're right. The, the, there's so many like entire songs in, in the film, but. Yeah. But it's also a blessing because there's no soundtrack. <laughs> so at right. least we have the sure. songs. That's right. <laughs> if you want to hear the whole song, you got to yeah. watch <laughs> Yeah, I think, I, I mean, you know, knowing those guys, they were probably getting their money's worth. Like, well, you know, we paid for these. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, get, the, let's get the most out it, of them. And it, there was a way to pad out the, <laughs> pad the movie. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Because they already have these strange storylines that just go off on tangents that mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem to coalesce <laughs> that yeah. well. Yeah. Um, it just kind of seems like cliches almost like she's got her friend who has an abortion. She's got her brother oh, yeah. who commits suicide. Yeah, yeah. There's all this yeah, stuff yeah. going on. <laughs> no, they, they, I, I, I sometimes call it, if I have to kind of sum it up for anybody who's new, I, I said, it was kind of like a rock and roll soap opera, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, in movie form. Um, yeah, cause they really did go for uh, all the, the drama events and, but you know, again, g- good actors kind of handling those things, which, which made it more reasonable, I think. And then I, you know, what I really appreciated was the, were the actors who made, made it fun and funny like Joey and leaving. Uh, yeah. Were- yeah. The, the whole video shoot was great. The way <laughs> John was so upset. Cause they were trying to shave his beard off. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. There was a woman named Lotus Weinstock, a great comedian who was in that, who's passed since, um, 
And, so, and her daughter is a great uh, violin player, Lily Hayden, who's played with everybody. Yeah, Lily I met when she was like little when, when Lotus did that movie because I went and saw her. Um, she was she did a stand-up, and I, I went and saw her a couple of times, and Lily came up with her when she was a little kid, and then some years passed, and I saw Lily, who's grown into this beautiful woman and just this stunning kind of presence on violin. I was like, wow. And, and Lotus said, oh, yeah, that's Lily. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Uh, but, yeah, I, I see her around. She's, she's cool. But, yeah, Lotus, sadly, past uh, some time some time ago but she was another funny one funny you know part of that she was the one who, she was the makeup artist i think in that the whole thing about you know, it's how you look her thing uh but leaving hilarious and and i just remember him you know doing adr stuff just putting in lines that you just hear randomly and and just coming up with this ridiculously funny you know <laughs> thing about you know all these british guys you know and and they all got the crabs and i thought that's what i want to do <laughs> just like going off on these tangents and cheerleaders thunder lightning scantily clad women <laughs> who are voluptuous you getting a picture no he had a great ad in line there's the party scene you know and i've got this outrageous kind of costume with the uh, i don't know the velvet jacket and the I don't know, shirt, ascot, and the ridiculous hair and all that. And so there's the, the scene where we show up at his house, right? It was this house up in the hills, leavings, the, the video producer. And and he says, ah, yes, the pieces. And he's like, who are the pieces? But he, he threw in a sideline. He meets me. And he's like, oh, I yeah, put my luggage over there. <laughs> like just, was, I just appreciated him. It was funny. At at the yeah. end, it's so disappointing because they start to play the video, and they even have the, like the MTV white letters in the corner that says oh, right. everything. And you're like, "Awesome! I want to see the video." And then it cuts off after like right ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was all they did. I remember it was my birthday when I did that, and they had a stripper for me. I just remember. I was in that kind of ridiculous space, spaceman outfit being kind of lap danced by this stripper on the, on that set. And it's an odd memory I have, but <laughs> it happened. <laughs> yeah. That's just the beginning of the video is Catherine's got the pom poms and you kick through right. the wall behind her and then it's, that's it. They don't show the rest. <laughs> the space helmets on. Yeah. yeah. Oh God! I've kind of, you're making me want to see this now. I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, I remember that. <laughs> the the fun the funniest part in the whole movie is there's an old lady with a walker crossing the street, and a car pulls up that has to stop and wait for her, and the person in the car yells. Your family hates you. <laughs> that was that was Lotus. That was Lotus. Oh, that Star. was Lotus. Yeah. Yeah. That line is hilarious. That. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Your character turns into such a prick <laughs> by the end of the movie. And I'm the nicest guy now. <laughs> it's funny. I, you know, and, and I guess around that or, I don't know, somewhere in the mid-80s, things took a turn and I started playing all these bad guys. And, 
it's funny. I, I have a friend who kind of psychic, you know, does that stuff. And I check in with her every, I used to do more. And I said, what is it with all these bad guys? And she said, you know what it is the way I see it. You don't get mad in life. That's kind of your safe place to do it. And I thought, Oh, and then it became a lot of fun. I was like, well, yeah. And you know, any, any bad guys subtext is, why does nobody get this but me? <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, so when you when you open yourself up to that, it, it's playing bad guys is kind of fun, or became even more fun. But yeah, I mean, that was it was a little sensitive to me at the time because you know, I yeah, I play music and I didn't want this guy to be confused with me. And and uh, yeah, I, I remember see that <laughs> being somewhat conscious of that. You know, I don't wear leather pants and have the mullet and no shirt. <laughs> That's not my guy. But certainly, yeah, if he came across bad, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's true. It's like you put this subconscious image in people's minds and then they see you playing music and they're like, that's that asshole that steals people's yeah, songs. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's funny because I, I did, you know, to, to get well, visibly more visible locally. Uh, there was a, a lapse of time between that movie and, you know, my playing around town, I think. Uh and I, you know, again, it's it's such the random person who saw the movie, so it's not like it. Uh, yeah, no. It made it into everybody's living rooms or, you know, <laughs> hearts and minds. So it's uh, funny that you know they set it up so that the sl- sl- sleazy manager guy is the guy that convinces you to like, steal her songs, but then okay. by the end. You're just on your own stealing the song she wrote about her dead brother. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, how yeah. low is that? <laughs> <laughs> Drive it home. I know. I know. But oh, then yeah. she hits you in the back with an electric guitar, which would not feel good. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think she does win in the end. That yeah. alone. <laughs> that was that looked good. I remember that whole flying into the audience being whacked by a. A guitar made of balsa wood, I think, was made of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it must have been a really lightweight. If it was a real guitar, you would probably end up in a wheelchair from that scene. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, it would have been more than a couple of ribs cracked. (laughs) Hey, listen, see me a beer. I got something I got to take care of. This is something uh, I don't normally do, but tonight feels good, and you guys feel good. This is a brand new one that I wrote with Debbie.
yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and that song that was written by Melissa Etheridge. That song, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Melissa at the time, she was actually in the movie. I think she got cut out. She played like a, a store owner of. Yeah, you know, you know, I saw her in the credits, but I couldn't remember seeing her in the movie. So you're, yeah, you're right. I that's think. what it was. I think they clipped her. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was something legal because Melissa was just, I think she was just doing her first album around that time or after. Uh, I remember seeing her in a club and just going, I mean, I loved her, uh, her voice I just related to and, and she was very down to earth and just cool. And, um, you know, I remember we woke, we talked about, you know, waking up at the same hour. She goes, we should be married. And I thought, <laughs> Thought, well, that's not gonna happen. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not because I wouldn't have, but but you know, just the way. Uh, anyway, I just liked her a lot, and and um, yeah, we were lucky to have her. I mean, especially now in hindsight. Yeah, I looked at her first album came out at '88, so she hadn't even she didn't even have an album out yet when that when that when the movie yeah. happened. It, it's funny because I remember I, I was just remembering this the other day because I had her number and I. You know, some time had passed, and I called her while she was recording the album, and she she, she kind of you know, she kind of said, well, "Well, why are you calling?" And I said, "Well, I, I was just you know seeing how you're doing. Are you okay?" And and I but I think at that point things had kind of started to spin for her a little bit. So you know, she almost took it like I was like you know, being an opportunist or something, calling her. And I honestly was just kind of calling to see, you know, God, how, what are you doing now? Because I didn't know about the record or anything. That was an odd memory I had the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prob- kind of yeah, yeah. people probably, well, I mean, you probably had it happen to you too where you get comb- bombarded with. Oh, yeah. With, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, what do you want? <laughs> but, but honestly, I was just checking in. Um, oh, the one other person I wanted to ask you about was Nick Gilder because I'm a huge fan of Nick Gilder, and he's got a song listed in the credits, which I didn't. He, I don't know where it is in the movie, but oh, it's a song it's that a, I, he never released, as far as I, as far as is I that know. right? Because it's a great song. It's one of the few that you know we didn't do or I didn't do that yeah. I remember. Uh, called digging. Uh, it's like digging out a rock from a gold. Yeah, it says "Rock in the Gold Mine." Yeah, yeah. That's what it is, and and yeah, it's great because you know Nick Gilder, you know, "Hot Child in the City," has that kind of high, yeah, you know, feminine. But this, he kind of sings more, you know, uh, dead on rock and roll. Kind of, it was a great song. In fact, I, I was, you know, when I first started, oh, that's Nick Gilder, shit. Um, and he was a great guy. I remember, really pleasant. Nice guy named. Yeah, he introduces your video at the end. Yeah, right. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Yeah, you? that's like that's like a lost song because it's not on any of his records. So it's like would have been on the soundtrack, I guess, but uh, I guess it would have, yeah. I don't think it's been released in any way as yeah. far as I can tell. I think Nick too was a um uh he was a client of Joe shoot. If you watch the the uh, Sound City documentary that um, Dave Grohl yeah, put together, yeah, they talk about Joe uh, who who ran it. He was one of his clients, okay, uh, as well as Rick Springfield was kind of the most famous client of his. 
And it's funny. I remember somebody said, you know, Joe's interested in managing you. And I thought, oh, man, I, I don't want to be Rick Springfield. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it was, yeah, one of those things I probably shouldn't have done maybe at the time. I don't know. Did you did but, you ever have a record deal? or Never have. I've no. recorded. I've had some great opportunities. I mean, I've recorded some of the best studios in L.A. there and um in the earlier 80s at the record plant, uh, somebody gave me some time there. And then in the 90s at the Village Recorder, uh, great place. You know, interestingly enough, Timothy, the Eagles were recording their comeback album down the hall there when I was in there. So I've, I've made recordings through the years and some really good ones. You know, my problem is I'm, I'm already on to the next thing. It's like, well, you know, all right, I'm not going to put that out. So I've got this, you know, backstock of of stuff I've recorded uh, that maybe one day I'll actually get my shit together and and just, you know, these days you can just put it out there on whatever way. But um, and I'm always kind of working on newer stuff. I am right now. There is the, there's like an EP's worth of of my last band, uh, the Matchfingers. Uh, that's out there floating around on CD baby. And, um, okay. Uh, uh, so it's available, you know, I'm like I say, I'm in the process of kind of putting down more stuff and I'm, I'm always writing stuff too. So you ain't heard the last of me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but like back in the eighties, were you trying mm-hmm. to get a record deal? Were you trying to, to do sure. go that route? Yeah. Yeah, I would go back and forth. Like, oh, this is what I'm doing now. You know, I can't let acting get in the way of this. This is what I'm focused on. Yeah, somebody had given me time. Uh, Danny Goldberg, who became kind of a big deal, mm-hmm. was a friend of my agent. So he gave me time at the record plant. I went in there, you know, wanting to do a whole album with with the day that he gave me. You know, in hindsight, probably I should have done three or four or two or. Um, but I just blasted through, you know, some originals of mine, a bunch of covers. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) But that, you know, there was that. And, and, uh, like I say, during period, then the, what I recorded at the village actually was pursuing a record deal and it kind of got here and it got here. But then my, uh, when my sons was born and that kind of turned me, uh, you know, uh, in another direction. So things would come up and I'd kind of walk, but, uh, um, and that's also at a time when people starting to work, starting to kind of, you know, do it themselves, put their own records together. So then I left it long enough to not really get with that. So, you know, I'm always, it's, it's like the playing music. What I love doing more than anything I think is playing live. I mean, that's just so direct. And so, you know, I, I connect best that way. And I'd still like to, the band I have now, uh, the idea was to go and record them live. One of us got sick, so that kind of put the kibosh on that. But now we're kind of piecing it together and, and uh, uh, recording that way. So what what so. is your band now? Uh, the Match Fingers, basically a band I've played with mostly in the same configuration for God, the last 20 years. It's uh, two guitars, bass, drums, fiddle, more roots, I'll say Americana is kind of the common tag these days, but uh, I'll say kind of folk rock with a good backbeat. And, you know, I, I still sing with some oomph, so that gives it more of the rock and roll thing. So that basically, but I'd, I'd say, you know, musically uh, between 1965 and 1974 is kind of where we breathe, you know, where we live, that style. 
So, you know, we, when we play live, we throw a lot of those kind of covers in, not, not the obvious covers, but you know, yeah. ones that we like the whole band's kind of that, that era in their uh, upbringing. But then, you know, yeah, and I, I've written quite a bit and uh, continue to do that and will. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I could yeah. tell just from watching this movie that even though I didn't really know what your story was as far as like a, a musician or being in bands, it just seemed kind of obvious that you must have pursued that as well. It was obvious yeah. you weren't just an actor pretending, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Shortly after this movie, there was a movie I was supposed to do, and my agent called me and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not doing it. They bought you out. And I said, why? And I, I didn't take offense because I hadn't done anything on it. But he said, they're paying you. I said, how? And I always had this fantasy of going over to England and the UK, where all my heroes were from, and just playing like Hank Williams. I was getting into Hank Williams and stuff like that. And, you know, Dylan, of course, just playing American music over there and in the tunnels and pubs. And so Friday I split and I went for like two months. This was not not long after season of the gold mine. Um, and just bust. I mean, I really kind of learned the fine art of busking and, and just popping up in pubs. They're like, oh, you know, Dylan, uh, you know, they'd sing along with you and stuff. Or Hank Williams, an American playing that stuff was kind of a turn on to them. Wow. So, um, I, and I think that's kind of where I got more of my legs as a guitar player, singer, or, or you know, I'll say troubadour. Uh, and I still, you know, if I'm not playing with a band, I can perform on my own you know, with relative ease, I, I, I keep sharp on that, you know, throw a harmonica rack on my neck and I'm, you know, on my own little band. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Do you do that? Do you, do you yeah. play a lot of gigs? I do. You know, the, the band was pretty active there for quite a while. We play like once a month, uh, these days, a little less. I just turned 60 the other couple of weeks ago. And I, I played a gig around that with, with the band and then other people that I'd played with, uh, before that band, there was kind of a configuration of, it was a little more acoustic, um, it's like a bass, acoustic guitar, fiddle. Um, then a friend of mine, Matt Cartsonis, who would play everything. I mean, you could play accordion, you could play banjo, you could play slide. Uh, great guy to have in your band. It, it was the four of us and occasionally with a drummer. So it, it was a little more kind of, uh, acoustic um but you know again I, I i sing with some ump so you know i call it gut folk <laughs> so, <laughs> so but it's a pleasure talking to you brian thanks for you know tracking me down pursuing this um yeah i really appreciate you you know indulging me <laughs> in in this sure but otherwise man it's been a pleasure talking to you yeah thanks a lot cameron it's been great all right brian good luck with everything thank you okay okay bye, bye. Escape
All right, so that was my conversation with Cameron Dye. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. And if you haven't guessed, the song we're hearing right now is Cameron's band, The Match Fingers. There's a four-song EP available on Amazon. This is a song called Thick Skin. I want to thank Cameron Dye so much for coming on the podcast and telling us all his stories about making scenes from the gold mine. And I hope you enjoyed all the great music from that film. And let's hear more of the Match Fingers. Niles. He keeps shoving that shit up your nose. I'm pretty fucking tired about hearing how much I've changed. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 